This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Buddy, uh, New Jersey and the rest of the nation uh, continues to stand in solidarity with Ukraine. Uh, And this week in New Jersey politics, we watched our state's congressional delegation, the governor, the New Jersey legislature, even local officials take actions in opposition of Vladimir Putin and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it's, it's not often that New Jersey politics is dominated by what's happening across the world. But this week it was. I mean, Governor Murphy, who who has called Putin a bad, bad, bad dude, uh, signed an executive order that directs state agencies to review all of their interactions with Russian companies and with companies that do business uh, with, with Russia that have ties to Putin. The state Senate passed a bill that ban state agencies from doing business with Russia and Russian-backed companies. The sponsor of that bill uh, is Senator Paul Sarlo. He's the chairman of the Senate Budget and Appropriations Committee. Uh, He sponsored that bill with Senator Declan O'Scanlan. And Senator Sarlo will join me around 445 to talk about his legislation. Uh, Also about Governor Murphy's proposed budget, which he will present to a joint session of the New Jersey legislature on Tuesday. Uh, Congressman Josh Gottheimer will also join me today. We're going to talk about Russia. He introduced a bill this week that would ban U.S. import of oil and gas from Russia. Uh, I'm also going to ask him about President Joe Biden's State of the Union address this week. Uh, you will, you're not going to want to miss what Con- Congressman Gottheimer has to say. Uh, also on the show is John Henry Eisman. He is a, a 27-year-old who left his Wall Street job to head up a humanitarian effort in Guatemala. Now he is a candidate for the Republican nomination for Congress in New Jersey's 7th District. He wants to run against Democrat Tom Malinowski. His candidacy is catching on a little. Uh, we're going to talk to him about about that and about uh, his showing so far at party conventions. And, and coming up in this segment, I'll speak with Dan Scharfenberger. He is a the campaign manager for the front runner in that race to pick Malinowski's opponent. Uh, That's former Senator Minority Leader Tom Kane. Uh, So after two years, Governor Murphy has lifted New Jersey's COVID public health emergency. That's effective this Monday. Uh, He said the numbers in the state have improved. New Jerseyans are learning to deal with the virus. And as of Monday, masks will become optional for students and staff at New Jersey schools. That's a big deal. Uh, Murphy also made the announcement. uh, This was his 257th press briefing. It was a live stream. He's been doing these live streams since March of 2020. Friday marked the end of those two years of of regular COVID briefings. Murphy's done more press conferences in his first 50 months as governor than any other governor in New Jersey history. And, And there should be no mistake that Phil Murphy's governorship will forever be tied to this pandemic. And and these briefings, for better or for worse, allowed New Jerseyans to get to know their governor and to hear from him firsthand without the filter that comes through the media. That was that was an extraordinary change in the way governors communicate uh, with residents of their state. And whether you like Phil Murphy or not, he 
deserves praise for devoting time at each of his briefings to pay tribute to New Jerseyans who died as a result of this pandemic. And, and each time the governor told stories about just a sampling of the state's COVID victims. So on Friday, Murphy paid tribute to three more New Jerseyans, the last of 646 tributes to people who were memorialized by the governor, just a, a small sampling uh, Understandably, Governor Murphy choked up when he spoke about conversations he had uh, with families that he called, families who had lost somebody from COVID. I want to play for you what the governor said. So let's go to cut one. For all of these 646 folks that we have honored in these briefings, I have called each and every one of their families, speaking with well more than 1,000 family members. They told me stories and brought me in on inside family stories and jokes. Some calls were lighthearted and we laughed together over happy memories and many were brutal and somber and we cried together over what had been lost and all are forever in my memory and our memory. We honor them still. We honor each and every single one. Hard to believe. Of the more than 30,000 lives who had lost. So for all of them, let's do one final moment of silence. And, and so from the New Jersey Globe to, to each of the families of, of, of these more than 30,000 New Jerseyans whose deaths were related to the pandemic over the last two years, may, may their memories all be a blessing. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So on Morris, in Morris County, and that is a bastion of Republicans. No Democrat has won a countywide election there since 1973. So the support of the county party and the coveted organization line is, is critical to anyone who wants to run for public office. Morris County had a convention on Friday night to award their line in two congressional districts where Democratic members of Congress are potentially vulnerable. That's Tom Malinowski and, and Mikey Sherrill, and, and for three seats uh, on the county board of commissioners. Uh, in that commissioner race, one of the incumbents, Tom Mastrangelo, lost. That was an upset. He will not have the organization line. The winners were, were uh, the nine-term incumbent, Doug Cabana, former freeholder Christine Myers, and Sarah Nybart. She is a, a young rising star in New Jersey politics. She's Mendham Township committee woman, former mayor. But the real news there was that the two congressional races went to a second ballot. And a little bit after midnight, it was about six hours after people arrived, delegates were sent home and told there's going to be another vote soon. Uh, I'm, I'm joined by Republican strategist Dan Scharfenberger, who is the campaign manager for Tom Kane. Kane, former Senate minority leader, is the front runner in the race to uh, pick up an opponent for Malinowski in the, in the 7th District. Dan, welcome back. Great to be here, David. Thank you. Thank you. Dan, what happened in Morris County on, on Friday night? Yeah, you know, it, it's really a bummer that the machines weren't able to, to do the whole job. I mean, uh, by, by our efforts, by the efforts of so many other campaigns, whether it be on the commissioner's level or those uh, in the 11th district, I mean, we had outstanding turnout. And I think it just speaks so highly of the enthusiasm that we have on the Republican side going to 2022, which is a big deal for us in the Kane campaign. And you know what? We're going we're to get this right. I, I mean, that, that's why a uh, runoff was necessary at another day. I mean, it had gone on for so many hours that fairness will be the only thing that, to dictate uh, 
the outcome of this race and, and how we go about that. We will do a runoff. Uh, we're going to do hugely well in that race. So, so let me go through these numbers. I mean, King got 48 votes. Uh, John Henry Eisman, uh, second place, 36 votes. That's 45%, so about 5% less, it was 5% less than what he needed to just capture a first first ballot victory. Uh, Eric Peterson got 23 votes, and Phil Rizzo got got 20 votes. Uh, let me ask you first, I'm sure you, you've seen it. I, I watched a, a, a video on social media of Rizzo's attorney uh, questioning the integrity of this election. Uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was in a way sort of a, a stop the steal kind of message. Is, 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 that, is that fair, what, what the Rizzo campaign is saying? No, not at all. Phil Rizzo's a pretty clueless candidate. I don't think he has any idea what he's doing. Uh, so we don't pay attention to a lot of what him or the team that he pieces together says. And and you know what? A lot of good things were done at the convention, and everybody really – a huge effort, whether it be the chairwoman, the, the credential committee, and all the volunteers that made this possible really did an outstanding job. And you know what? It was the machines that just weren't able uh, in a practical way to get the job done at the end of the day. I mean, David, there were hundreds – of delegates there. Uh, this is a big process. It takes a lot of time. Um, so I, I think it's really unfair to, to, to blame it on uh, kind of a stealing effort or anything like that. And when you, you talk about kind of the, the crowded primary field and, and how these votes turn out, um, yes, we got 45 percent in a field of four candidates. So we were by far the top vote getter. And that's a really big deal. And this is our first rodeo, David. I mean, this well, it wasn't that far. Ago. It was 12 votes. It was 48 to 36. That's not in, in terms of people out of 106 people that, that cast their ballots, that's not, that's not a huge lead. All right. All right. And, and Tom King came in first place where we were only about five points below exactly where it needed to be to get this thing done in short order. It'll take us a little longer, but we will get it done. And this is our first rodeo. I mean, we did two ballots in Eric Peterson's home county in Honorton, and uh, we did it the right way all in one night. Not only did we win and come in first place by far in a crowded field, but we beat Eric Peterson head-to-head in his own county. Um, so we're, we're going to do the same thing again here in Morris later this week. And, and you in Morris County, I mean, it's, it's Laura Ali is the county chair. She is, uh, this is her second convention since Morris had a line. She is, uh, uh, a lot of people view her very highly as, 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 a, as a bright star in the Republican Party. Uh, but i, I got to tell you one thing, and, and this is, I mean, this goes back to my old county committee days, 40 something years ago. Uh, here's what I don't get is is uh, our reporter, Joey Fox, was was up there last night, as you know, in Morris County for over six hours. And he said after the first ballot, a lot of people went home. These are county committee people. These are people that are elected to represent the Republicans in their voting district, the most local of local politics. What are they thinking? What are people how do they how do they just pick up and leave before the voting is over? Well, listen, that's why we take this process so seriously. And I I, I know I've been around county committee for for quite a few years now. They do take their position very seriously. That's why it was so important that we take this runoff date at a separate time uh, you know, very seriously, make sure we get this right. I mean, these folks want to engage. They, they want to be part of the process. They want to make sure that they get this decision, an extraordinarily important decision. It can't be done by, by the, the 1% or, or the, the remnants of a, an empty room. It's got to be done by uh, everybody participating in the process. That's what we're focused on. And I, I know Morris County GOP is focused on the same thing. We're, we're going to get it done right, I promise. I'm speaking with Dan Scharfenberger, Republican strategist, who is Tom Kane Jr.'s campaign manager. Is there a date for the new vote yet? Have they said it? 
Uh, we, we don't. We are in discussions with Morris GOP. Well, I'll just have that information shortly. And, Dan, I mean, I, you know, I, as, as you know, I've, I've been watching these things very very closely over over a lot of time it it has it's never been uh a clear and easy path for the canes i mean i i uh i worked on on uh senator kane's dad's campaign for congress in 1974 i i was i was 13 years old and uh uh then assembly minority leader kane lost that primary by 83 votes to Millicent Fenwick, who, who went on to be an absolutely legendary figure in American politics. But that was a close one. And I, and I looked it up. I was not around for Congressman Robert Kane's first campaign in 1938. I'm not that old. Uh, but I went and I looked it up because I recalled it was close. He won that primary by 713 votes. Is that is that really what we're looking for? Is it just, we're looking at it's just it's just not easy to walk into the U.S. House of Representatives. Well, look, it, it, it is it's not easy. And Tom Kane is the type of guy uh, who has been in tough races, not only of, of his own, but helping out in tough races only up and down the ballot and uptown the state. Uh, for his entire career. And somebody like John Eisman, I mean, I don't know where he's been. Uh, he just kind of came around the corner in, in 2022. But when times were tough, when political environments were good, bad, majority, minority, uh, it's, you know, nowhere to be found. But Tom Kane was on the front lines every step of the way. Uh, so Tom Kane is very well prepared for this fight, uh, whether it be the primary, the general election. He's going to win in November. And, and speaking with Dan Scharfenberger, Republican strategist, so, so I want I, – I want to ask you to just just move from the seventh next door to the eleventh for a second, where, where you're you're not working. Uh, this is the, the race to pick a Mikey Sherrill opponent. Uh, County Commissioner Typhoon Selen also in a runoff with Larry Kasha, who has been around a long time. He's former Kinalon Council President, Republican State Committeeman. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I look at is is there's a guy named Toby Anderson who who admittedly I'm, I mean I'm having flashbacks to Ed Durr all of a sudden of of this this strong showing by somebody that I have hardly followed this is a US Army veteran making his first race for office he ran a really strong race he got a, you know 113 votes he came within 5 votes of making that runoff what's what's going on in the 11th well, David, I can tell you what I saw in that convention room last night, both in the 7th and the 11th. It was old school politics. It was the handshaking. It was the eye contact. Uh, it was the advocating on behalf of your candidate and your campaign uh, you know, to get them across the finish line. And, yeah, the, the 11th district did have more candidates than we were dealing with um, in the 7th. So I th- think the vote split goes a little further there. Um, but at the end of the day, and by a close margin, the, the two highest uh, candidates did advance to the second ballot. Um, and I, I think this, uh, the other candidates who are not on the second ballot are going to play an important role in deciding who that victor is ultimately. I, I think they do. They have built up a, a large base of support that's going to make a real difference in that campaign. And, I mean, you, you, you're, you're leading me back to your race in the seven. But one of the things I noticed at the Hunterdon convention is on the second ballot, the people that had voted for uh uh, John Eisman and, and uh, Rob Trugman, I think he got two votes. But but those those votes that you didn't get on the first ballot, they broke two to one for Kane. Uh, I mean, literally, you know, 12 and six. Is that is that something you're expecting now on, on a second ballot? No, you know what? The 100 County Republican Convention, uh, I mean, it was probably one of the most outstanding performances of, 
of any kind of out-of-county candidate uh, against the home county candidate. Really an extraordinary thing. Somebody who's represented the county for the better part of two decades uh, loses on his home turf. Um, and there's an old saying that kind of if you can't win your home turf, you're toast. And um, that's what we did. We did it in a crowded field. We did it head-to-head. That's exactly what we're going to do again here, uh, no matter how the math shakes out. And, and we have a lot of folks coming from other campaigns towards ours, I can tell you that. I'm speaking with Dan Scharfenberger, Republican strategist. And, and last year, this has nothing to do with Tom Kane, but last year you spent a lot of time in South Jersey. You ran the Senate Republican Campaign Committee. You won races in, in, in the Atlantic County District, beat Steve Sweeney, uh, beat Dawn Adiego. Uh, I think South Jersey is a battleground for Republicans coming up. And, and yesterday, the New Jersey Globe broke the story that the mayor of Monroe Township, second largest town in Gloucester County, Mayor Rich DeLucia, has switched parties. Uh, how important is it that that Democratic local a Democratic local official like that is switching? I, I think it's hugely important. I think you might see a lot more of that. I mean, the tide has completely turned in South Jersey. The Republican surge. Uh, is, is is nothing to write off. Whether you saw how close the results were in the 4th District, and we're going to be hugely competitive there next year. Uh, but we were able to beat back uh, 10, 15, $20 million of combined money throughout South Jersey on the Democratic side uh, for a clean sweep of, of all these seats, both in the Senate and the General Assembly. Um, so South Jersey is not only hugely important to Republicans in the state of New Jersey, um, but locally, I think you're going to see a lot more folks seeing the tide turning in the Democratic Party and joining the Republican Party. Okay. Well, I have been speaking with Dan Scharfenberger, Republican strategist, campaign manager for Tom Kane Jr. in New Jersey's 7th District. Dan, as always, thanks for coming on. Thank you, David. Thank you. And I will be right back with John Henry Eisman, a Republican congressional candidate in New Jersey's 7th District. You're not going to want to miss what he has to say. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. John Henry Eisman was on a on a different trajectory in life. He was on a, a job in Wall Street. He left to run a humanitarian effort in Guatemala. Now he is running for Congress in New Jersey's seventh district. Uh, John, welcome. Thanks for coming back. And I think are we on? You there, David? Hey, hey John. How are you? Doing thanks well. For, thanks for, thanks for me. thanks for coming back. So. So you have you've now come off two conventions, uh, one yeah. maybe one and a half, because the Morris County Convention is is not yet over, and and yeah. it, it seems like you're catching on a little bit. Uh, tell me tell me what what's going on with your campaign right now. I mean, what's going on is is we're doing the work. Um, you know, when people ask us how we're going to win in November, it's the same way of, of how we're going to to build this organization and win in June, which is out energizing, out organizing, and out working the competition. Um, we started that in Hunterdon, where uh, I believe by now, between the last two conventions, we've knocked on 1,247 doors. Um, these are committee people we're hitting uh, two, if not three times, with a message that wins, um, which is you know, the status quo GOP right now is, is polling that they're going to lose again in November. Um, and people in New Jersey, they don't like to lose, and they don't like to be told who to vote for. Um, so, you know, we saw in Hunterdon on the first ballot, um, there were more votes against Tom Kane Jr. than four. 
And then, again, in the first ballot in Morris, we saw that uh, with 65 percent of commissioners uh, rejecting Tom Kane Jr. as the option. Um, we defeated a you know, sitting assemblyman by double-digit margins, as well as the former gubernatorial candidate, uh, to get ourselves into this runoff. And you are 27? I, I don't know if you've turned 28 since... That's, that's correct, yeah. I, I'm going to have to get your birthday straight at some point, but you, you are, you're a young candidate, and people have yes. never heard of you before. And, and i got to tell you, you know, when you and I have talked about this, uh, mm. that's not unusual in New Jersey congressional elections. Andy Kim, Tom Malinowski, Josh Gottheimer, Mikey Sherrill, just in the last few years, these are, these are people that, that regular voters had never heard of before they elected mm. them to Congress. So, so – what is it, so, so people understand, it, what is it that you're saying on the campaign trail uh, that, that is making people for some reason like you? And, and I'm not saying you're, you know, that's, that's hard, but, but you are, you're beating some people that are better known than you. What, what, what are you saying? What is your message? We're po- pointing to the unfortunate reality of the district, which uh, in Hunterdon, you have a county historically one of the, the most red in New Jersey closest to electing uh, a Democrat for president uh, in 2020, as they were since LBJ in 64. Morris, the first time they flipped blue since 64 was 2020. And I say, look, we're losing this because we're losing millennials and Gen Zs, right? People of my generation who are voting five times more left than right. And what we're saying is we're not just going to win by engaging that generation. We're going to engage all generations. Uh, What we talk about is this next generation of conservatives. And that's not just the first-time voter that we're turning into a lifetime Republican. That's uh, the apathetic former council person or committee person who's had enough of this, Uh, the independent who's looking for a home, the retired JFK Democrat. Uh, These are the people um, that we're bringing in. That's the message that that we're painting, the picture we're painting for Republican committee people to say that, look, we cannot afford to do two things in New Jersey anymore. One – is fail to get out the base by watering down uh, our values and our convictions, uh, but two, be unable to connect those convictions to voters. So I think what you saw last night was that message really resonating. You have, you know, folks like Phil Rizzo, who is jumping districts and jumping offices, you know, and just a firebrand waving the the Cawthorn endorsement flag. Um, People in the district understand that that's probably not a path to victory here. But the reason folks like Eric Peterson have gotten traction and hard in is people want a true conservative. People want a champion for our values. So what we're doing is we are that candidate, um, and we have the best organization of any other candidate in the race, You know, better than some that have been running for this seat for the last 20 years. I, I saw Phil Rizzo uh, do a message on social media. His lawyer was up on social media. They were – uh, they were talking about whether whether this process last night in Morris County was was fair, whether something was going on. Are you are, yeah. are, are you confident that this was a was a fair vote? I, I'm confident it was a fair vote, but I, I would like to quickly take you through what what happened. And, and sure. Joey was there, so I'm sure you got uh, you know a download from him. This is but, New Jersey Globe reporter you, Joey Fox, who is everywhere. Yeah, as you can imagine, a you know convention with around 700 people and 90% turnout uh, can be hectic. And, and Laura Ali, the chair, and, and Anthony Despirito, uh, the executive director, the entire team did an excellent job. Um, like I said, the start of the night was great. But as votes started to come in and, and we entered that runoff, um, the process started to get a, a little muddy. Um, from the time results were read 
until voting started in NJ07, which voting did start, uh, started by the vice chair in NJ07 for the second ballot. It had been two hours. Um, so, yes, some people had left. Some people had filtered out. Um, but I had about 50, 60 folks, whether they were uh, supporters of me in the first ballot, a few Kane supporters we turned just uh, in the room in the next hour, and Rizzo and Peterson supporters getting behind us as well. So that was about the time as Seven was finishing up voting that uh, we were brought into a room um, of candidates and candidate representatives to say, should we postpone this thing? And our argument was that absolutely not. NJ07 has started voting. Um, and by the time we had finished that conversation without making a de decision, NJ07 had finished voting. Um, so there were votes on a machine. Um, the second ballot was finished um, before we made that decision. So in 11, uh, both candidates uh, consented to, to push off. Uh, in seven, Keynes uh, Camp consented to, to redo that vote and push it off. And we said, no, we would like to read the results because we were confident that, um, you know, we built the support in the room. Like I said, flip supporters from all other candidates. Um, enough for us to win. But uh, that's not going to stop us from, from going out and doing the same work that brought us this result, um, you know, to, to, to winning in whatever venue, whatever day this, uh, you know, continuation of the convention is. And I'm, I'm speaking with uh, Republican congressional candidate John Eisman, New Jersey's 7th District. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence has said that, that new America needs to move on from the 2020 election and just – just just take that and, and move forward. Is, is he right? I, I believe so. And, and I think what we take from an election like this, um, we're going to get the results and, and we're going to get the results that we've worked for. Um, but what I take from this is, you know, Morris County is the canary in the coal mine uh, for the GOP. From Washington to New Jersey, when we put up the same candidate and run the same race, we're going to get the same result. And that's what Morris County rejected. Right. If if 65 percent of county committee people, the insiders of insiders that you were just talking about with with Dan um, are rejecting the status quo. It's time to understand that that it's time for a new candidate. It's time to win again and it's time to, to run modern campaigns and and really change hearts and minds and start to take back the state. So if, if you get the nomination and, and this is this is still, as, as you know, I believe Tom Kane Jr. is the is the front runner. But you are you are as a, fair enough for now. You, you are catching on. Uh, if you are running against Tom Malinowski, uh, what is what is the case about Tom Malinowski not returning to Congress? The, the case is uh, I could go on forever, but I only have a few minutes. You only have an, you have about a minute. So <laughs> he's not representative of the district. Right. We all know he's not from here. He votes about as far left as any of our congressional delegates. And we've seen not just in his voting that is not representative of New Jersey and is, is completely in line with the failure of the Biden administration. He's a poster boy for ethics violations, uh, right? It's very easy for people in the district to understand on both sides of the aisle that people are not meant to go to Congress to trade undisclosed on, on health care stocks um, during the pandemic and make $3 million. Um, that's a case both on, on voting record on personal character and ethics. And, and I think we're going to see many flips in the seats in New Jersey flip in 2022. And the 7th is going to be one of them. And John Henry Eisman, Republican candidate for Congress in New Jersey's 7th District. You, you are, are now continuing in your, your pursuit of the Morris County second ballot uh, uh, conventions coming up in Union and Somerset County. Uh, and I hope we'll have a chance to, to talk soon about your campaign for Congress. 
All right. Thanks so much, David. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. And we will be right back with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. We're going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about the State of the Union Address, so don't miss that. Uh, This is David Wildstein. I am the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, Congressman Josh Gottheimer is serving his third term in the U.S. House of Representatives. He represents uh, parts of North Jersey. Congressman, welcome back to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, thank you. And, and Congressman, you you have introduced legislation uh, that would would call for the U.S. to stop importing oil and gas from Russia. Tell me about your bill. Uh, it's called the Ban Russian Energy Imports Act. Uh, in the House, Brian Fitzpatrick, who's a Republican of Pennsylvania, the two of us are doing it together, along with uh, Senator Manchin and Senator Murkowski in the Senate. We announced it yesterday. Uh, it hits Putin where it hurts uh, on, his, on revenue Russia gets. Uh, from from selling Russian oil to the United States. So this bans it, uh, importing Russian crude oil, petroleum, uh, LNG, coal. And uh, it's one of these things where we're working with both houses, the House and the Senate, to get it done. And Congressman Malinowski, one of your, one of your colleagues, uh, he said he supports a, a ban on importing oil, but said it's, it's mostly symbolic that that what will happen is other countries will will just go buy buy that oil that it won't cost Putin a, a penny. Is that is that accurate? Well, I don't think I agree with that. I think it sends a very, very strong signal to the global community uh, that Russia will get uh, zero business from the United States. And the United States imports an average of about 670,000 barrels of oil a day. Uh, and this really will uh, hurt them strongly by going after what they sell to us. Congressman, you've spent most of this week in Washington. Everybody's talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What are you, what are you hearing? What, are, what, what should people know about what's going on? So it's a, I think, a heart-wrenching period for the world and those of us who love democracy and what I'm hearing both at home and I was in Teaneck last night uh, at a vigil, we were talking and praying for Ukrainians. Uh, you know, this is these coming weeks are going to be increasingly difficult. Um, and we see that the Russians continue to batter the Ukrainians. Um, I, I mean, but the heroic nature of, of the people there are just remarkable. I think I'm sure you'd agree, David, it's just how they've all picked up arms and are fighting back and standing strong against Putin uh, and his autocratic uh, approach to uh, to the region. And so um, we've seen the allies come together in NATO and beyond NATO in a way that we've never seen before. And um, obviously NATO countries, including the United States, arming the Ukrainians with missile supplies, aid, uh, very aggressive, tough economic sanctions, we heard the commander in chief talk about this week and, and, and continuing to increase those sanctions. But but these are very tough times. And I'm speaking with Congressman Got- Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey. Congressman, you were on the floor of the House when President Biden delivered his State of the Union address this week. What were what were your takeaways? How did he do? And, and did he did he come out of that stronger than when he went in? I definitely think so. Uh, 
you know, and, and what was really felt in the chamber, in the House chamber, was a great sense of unity. Um, one, obviously, the country coming together uh, in support of Ukraine. And you could feel in the hall the first third of the president's speech talking about how we were standing up and supporting democracy, standing with our NATO allies um, uh, and against Russian aggression. Second, um, you saw people without masks on, and which I think was symbolically very important, but also uh, showing that we were coming out of the height of the pandemic uh, and kids getting back to school and staying in school, businesses back to work. Um, and us hopefully back to uh, getting close to uh, to living a normal life. And the third thing I thought was really important that the president talked about was just costs and addressing what people are experiencing, whether that's higher prescription drug prices or groceries or gas prices, utility prices, and, and, and helping folks uh, through this and, and what we're doing to tackle those. And, of course, you saw great unity around – um, the importance of funding law enforcement and standing up to crime instead of defunding and making sure we enforce the laws on the books. Um, uh, you know, the, the president covered a lot of other issue areas like his unity agenda, which is around mental health and standing by our veterans and our heroes and uh, mental health issues and funding opioids, which I, I thought you saw a lot of agreement on. Um, and of course, celebrating the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, that I was very proud to have played a role in that passed and was signed into law at the end of last year and getting getting those shovels in the ground into work. So I thought there were a lot of areas where we could come together. And I, I, for me, at this moment, it's just so important that Democrats and Republicans stand together, put country ahead of party, uh, and fight for the things that are important to families. And one of the things that you have been working on almost – since you got to Congress was was the restoration of the SALT deduction. Uh, where does that stand now? It's a great question. You know, and I obviously working with uh, senators like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and others about fighting to get that done. You know, we were able to pass out of the House uh, a piece of legislation at the end of last year, um, as you know, that was focused on um, – getting SALT restored, uh, and, it, and it, it, if the Senate addresses it, 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 it will, um, and getting that tax cut for families in northern New Jersey that we need and being able to deduct our, our property taxes and state taxes, which I think are so important to get that tax relief to families, um, you know, that piece of legislation is, is stalled I, I, in the Senate. I think now the key is, is there another piece of legislation that we can get done? And, and Senator Manchin started to talk about another option, um, but I haven't seen all the specifics yet. I have stressed to the senator the importance of, of if there's any changes to the tax code uh, that affect families in my district, that we it must include restoring the state and local tax auction or SALT and giving those tax cuts to people and standing up to the moocher states and, and those uh, red states, which stuck it to us a couple of years ago, uh, which really affected our families and small businesses. If this were uh, if this were the old Groucho Marx, you bet your life the you know the the chicken would come down. I, you, I got you to say moocher without without prompting you. So. <laughs> uh, well, you know that's who stuck it to us, man. Yeah. Well, you know that's that 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 seems uh, you know a bipartisan view in New Jersey is that New Jersey doesn't doesn't get its its fair share. And I'm, I'm speaking with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. One something I heard Governor Murphy say uh, on Friday. Uh, 
was that New Jersey is about 3% of the country and is therefore entitled to about 3% of everything. Would you, would you take Phil Murphy's 3% deal? I have, to, I have to run the numbers on that. Um, all I know is, to put this in a way that I would understand here, is that if you look at places like Mississippi, right, where they pay $550 in property taxes a year, and you go to Bergen County, and obviously I think our taxes are too high and should be cut, but the median property tax is around $15,000, right? That means comparing what Mississippi pays and giving the same deal to New Jersey makes no sense. And this is about relief for middle-class families here and to stop people from leaving our state. You know, we need everyone to stay in Jersey. It's, uh, we all love Jersey. Obviously, it's got so much to offer. I mean, best law enforcement, best, obviously, communities, beautiful, great schools. Um, but, you know, we need to make life more affordable. And if we restore salt, you're talking about, uh, you know, an electrician and a teacher, they're making more than $250,000 a year. Um, the, restoring salt will give them more than $3,500 back in their pockets where it belongs. And, and to me right now, whether we're addressing supply chain issues and, and getting more things made in the USA, more domestic manufacturing, fighting China and making sure we build more uh, chips, microchips back here in the United States that are our phones and our cars, any of these things to get cost downs and make life more affordable. You know, I've got this whole affordability agenda, but anything to make life more affordable to me is what we should be focused on. And I was glad the president talked about this week, um, but the bottom line is we've got to do more. And you are, I mean, Congressman, you are, as, as, as you know far better than I do, you're in, a, you're in a tough district. Your district got, I think, a little bit better in redistricting, but, but by no means a safe Democratic seat. Uh, how concerned are you about the national political environment on your own reelection chances? You've got, you've got three Republicans looking to, to take you out this year. Um, you know, frankly, I think what at the end of the day voters decide on is, are you fighting and doing a good job for them? And that should be my report card. And, you know, I don't work for the national democratic party. I work for the fifth district for folks here. And that's why I work with Democrats and Republicans and co-chair the problem solvers caucus and, and work every day with anybody if it's good for Jersey. And so whether I'm fighting to get firefighters grants claw more money back from the federal government back to Jersey. And, you know, we're up 112% since I got elected in terms of what we're getting back for our firefighters and law enforcement and our communities. To me, that's what people should judge us on. Are we getting more broadband back and resources? Are we fixing our roads and our bridges, getting money for the gateway tunnel, which we're getting, which we got and we're getting done uh, and we'll get, get built. Are we getting, are we cleaning the drinking water for our kids, which we've got resources for, you know, and, and, and those are the kinds of things people should judge us on and decide if we should keep working for them. And, and that's what we'll ultimately have to make the case for. But, but, but that's, that's what I'm focused on, Dave. And Congressman Josh Gottheimer, we're, I mean, just before we run out of time, I, I, I'm going to ask you the same question I seem to be asking everybody that comes on this show uh, lately. I, I read in the Bergen record that yes, you might be I, eyeing I read, your, I read your news all the time. Yeah, I mean, but this, was the, Ber- this was the Bergen record. This was uh, Josh Gottheimer for governor 2025, not, not you know, not uh, – uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure – I'm not sure where they're going on that, but but is that something you're you're going to consider? 
Uh, I, I'm focused, and David, I know you've been around politics a long time. Uh, I'm focused on one thing, doing a good job for the 5th District. Uh, you know, and uh, I got an election ahead of me here, and uh, I'm going to focus on that. And, you know, the future is the future. Right now, all I'm focused on is, is fighting for the people I work for, and that includes Democrats and Republicans. So that's my job. Fair enough. Let me let me ask you one one last question. Major League Baseball. I know I know we're both sports fans. Uh, are we going to see a baseball game soon, and should and should Congress get involved in this? Well, the worst thing for the country would be uh, when when the masks are coming off and people going back to life if there wasn't any baseball. So we better they better figure this out. Uh, you know, I generally think uh, that the team should work with themselves to work through this. If they need someone to help sit at the table with them, you know, hey, I, I love trying to help some people solve problems. So if they want me to come help, I'm happy, I'm happy to, too. Uh, you know, I'm going to be with the Yankees on this one. Um, uh, uh, so if it's between the Yankees and the Mets, you know, where I'm going to come out. Um, but, but the bottom line is, you know, we've got to play ball. Well, you, hear, you heard it here, everybody. Congressman Josh Gottheimer says that he will help uh, mediate a, a bipartisan uh, – fix to uh to what's going on with major league baseball so congressman thank you so much for coming on thanks man it's good to see you i appreciate it and i will be this uh, i'll be right back with paul sarlo the chairman of the senate budget and appropriations committee this is david wildstein and you are listening to the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc this is the new jersey globe power hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Paul Sarlo is the chairman of the New Jersey Senate Budget and Appropriations Committee. Uh, that, is, that is one of the most influential committees in Trenton. And this time of year, budget season starting, he is one of the most powerful people in New Jersey. Senator, welcome back. Welcome. Great to be with you, David. Thanks for coming on. Senator, you were you and Declan O'Scanlan sponsored a bill passed the legislature unanimously uh, this week that would prohibit public investments with Russia. Tell me what your bill does. Thank you. Uh, thank you, David. Well, the night of the invasion, as I was uh, sitting there in just awe of what was happening um, in, in Ukraine, uh, I was listening to the various potential federal sanctions that would be economic sanctions that would be rolling out. I began to think about all of the development that I am aware of that I believe from New York City down to Miami along the eastern seaboard vertical development um, where there's Russian interests and Russian finance uh, ties to it. A lot of it goes back, as we do know, there's, we believe there's 100 oligarchs with interests, financial interests, in the United States. And I am quite confident some of that would be here in New Jersey. So I said, what can we do? What can New Jersey do? What, what, what role can we play in this? And I began to scratch some thoughts on paper and, and put together a piece of legislation um, that goes a, a, very, um, a very long way. And essentially it says every public entity in New Jersey, right down to municipal planning boards, zoning boards, uh, school boards, um, cannot do any business with any private entity or firm that has any Russian ties, Russian financing, or Russian interest. Um, in addition to that, it also goes for the state of New Jersey as well. Um, no bonding, no refinancing, um, no um, that, that investment in their pension funds. 
And these could be oil companies as well who um, uh, no investment oil funds. So uh, it's, it's very broad and it's very restrictive. It's basically saying New Jersey's public entities can do no business with any Russian interests. And I think New Jersey would be the first state to, to implement this. We believe we will be the, the first state to go this far. Um, and, and, and I think you just have to focus for the minute on the municipal side. So uh, many, many towns and cities will grant various tax abatements or property tax credits. Another favorite line is the pilot, a payment in lieu of taxes. They grant um, to entice uh, these vertical developers to come in and build. Um, those are, are very, very financial lucrative for some of these developers. And I'm pretty comfortable that there is some uh, Russian oligarchs who are behind some of these. They take their profits out, send them back uh, to New Jersey. It's basically washing dirty money through development in New Jersey. So we would be the most restrictive, and I think we're going to be the first state. And I'm confident other states will follow our lead. And Senator, you're – you're chairman of the budget committee. Uh, Governor Murphy's going to address a joint session of the legislature on Tuesday. He's going to present his new budget to the state. That begins months and months of work on your part. What are you? What do you anticipate Governor Murphy saying in that address? Well, the governor um, has uh, talked a little bit. There's a you know he's he's let a little bit out of the a uh, little bit of the cat out of the bag a little bit with uh, uh, a little over a billion dollar property tax relief uh, program, uh, changing the old homestead rebate, uh, rebranding it. Um, so that's something I think we need to um, take, a, take a hard look at. Listen, we have significant amount of revenues have come in. Um, we have the CARES money uh, and the American Rescue Plan dollars um, that have come into the, to the state um, post-pandemic here. Um, so we have a significant amount of revenue. We need to be smart. We need to be strategic of how we invest those funds. We're not looking at a one-year budget. We need to look at this as a, a one- to two-year uh, budget cycle. We need to do some transformative reinvestment. Um, I think the governor um, recognizes that. I think we're pretty comfortable. We will not hear any new fees or any new taxes. I am, I am very, very comfortable going out publicly on that. Um, so that is a very positive first step um, in, in any budget process. So, uh um, New Jerseyans should rest easy on that, uh, especially in light of what's happening with inflation around the country and, and gas and oil prices, knowing that they're going to continue to spike as we go through this um, Russia crisis. And I'm, I'm speaking with State Senator Paul Sarlo, Chairman of the Senate Bud, uh, Budget and Appropriations Committee. This this anchor property tax relief that, that the governor unveiled this week, uh, he's, he's looking to distribute, you, you said about a billion dollars, uh, this involves families, homeowners making up to a quarter of a million a year, and and That's and, correct. and and tenants also. So what? How will that? I mean, take take a town like yours. You're the, you're also the mayor of Woodridge, a small blue collar town in Bergen County. Uh, what would this anchor property tax relief mean to the people in your hometown? So essentially, you know, all the details have not been have been flushed out or have been paid public by the Murphy administration. Um, but, but essentially, David, as you indicated, uh, it, it appears to be a graduating scale up to a family making up to a quarter of a million dollars uh, would receive a, um, a tax sort of rebate, tax credit, a payment back to them. Um, could be upwards of $700 uh, 
Um, and it would be a sliding scale, you know, from 250,000 um, and, and sliding, you know, the greater, uh, that would be the, the least amount if you're making 250 and, and the maximum amount would be if, if you are a, a family, you know, work considered working poor. So um, it's intriguing. It's interesting. Anytime we're able to send money back to our property taxpayers is very interesting. Of course, a town like Woodridge um, and my district, a lot of blue collar towns, um, it would benefit a lot of our residents. Um, there's some other things that are on the pro- proposal as well, on the table as well. You know, the New Jersey Senate uh, just this week unanimously passed uh, the tenant president's Kataru is behind is energy gross receipts tax. It's something we uh, in municipalities have been fighting for years. Um, a little town of Woodridge is about $800,000. These are the uh, taxes that utilities pay. Um, to have their utilities in the, in the public right-of-ways. Um, and they go to the state of New Jersey. They're supposed to come back to town. They have never come back to town as long as i am <laughs> been involved in government or politics. Uh, and there's um, some legislation that's been proposed by members of the Senate Democratic uh, Party to bring that money back. Well, that's another way of getting direct property tax relief. So there's a, there's a, a host of issues that are on the table. The greatest thing is that we're all rolling in the same direction. No new taxes, uh, no new fees. How do we get some money back into the property taxpayers' hands? And how do we make some strategic investments with the federal dollars that's coming into the state of New Jersey? And that's let's not look this as a one-year budget. Let's look at this as a multi multi-year budget. And and I want to ask you. I mean, we're 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 coming near near the end of the time, but but you and I have talked about about elections and about how you have. When you won your first seat in the state assembly later in the state senate, that was a, a competitive district. Why are why are people, uh, as we come off redistricting, so afraid of elections? I'm calling them follicks, fear of elections. You know, David, we've had me and you have many we've had many discussions. Uh, we've had many discussions on this. Um, you know, my first couple races uh, taken on uh, two very very uh, strong candidates with many many years in the, both in the assembly and the senate. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you know, you know, people like to say, oh, you know, Senator Stroll, your district may be safe now. You know, it's never safe, quite frankly. You need to work every day. You need to earn the respect and the support of your constituents. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes when you have a, a, a difficult, uh, race or, or a competitive race, let's say, um, sometimes you, you work harder and you pay closer attention. Um, to your constituents and those who you've been elected to represent. You know, I think everybody needs to go through one or two of those races. I think it makes you a better elected official, quite frankly. I think so, too. I think so, too. Senator Paul Sarlo, chairman of the Senate Budget and Appropriations Committee, thank you, as always, for for joining me, and, and good luck as you begin this this budget process. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a full-time job for you these days. Thank you, David. Thanks for coming on. And everybody, uh, thank you for listening. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.